I think that students enjoy the extra freedom they have. Students who are more advanced in their learning have more time to spend on other subjects that they don't have to to be stuck in the classroom listening to the things that seem to hold them back. That's the personalization factor that we should consider about online teaching. Welcome back to Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. This is Bassem, producer of the show, speaking to you once again. This episode's guest is Berlin Fang, the Director of Instructional Design at Abilene Christian University. He's joining us to discuss China's shift to online learning and how it is compared to other places that have transitioned around the world. Thank you for joining us and let us know your thoughts by sending us a message on our social media channels through the links in the description. And don't forget to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. We'll now switch to host and CEO of Wise, Stavros Yunuka, to kick off the show. A warm welcome to everyone from around the world to uh, this uh, next installment of Wise Words. My guest today is Berlin uh, Fang. He's a, a writer, a, a thinker, and a academic on, on education. Uh, his main uh, interests are around uh, educational technology and more broadly the diffusion of uh, innovation, the management of change in uh, in higher education, and and also cross cultural comparisons of education. Berlin is currently the director of instructional design at Abilene Christian University in Texas. Berlin, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Berlin, I, I gave I think a very sort of cursory uh, introduction to to you and to your to your work. I want to give you a uh, an opportunity to uh, to introduce yourself and to maybe uh, say a little bit more about uh, about what you do and what your educational interests are. Thank you so much. Um, I am actually based in uh, Abilene, Texas, uh, like three hours away from Dallas. Uh, I work for uh, by Chinese standards, small university, but uh, not necessarily in America, uh, a private university, uh, which is uh, having a very large online presence uh, right, right now. And uh, I also write uh, for Chinese media, and get interviewed by them as well. Um, the reason I am interested in online teaching in China, I guess that's the elephant in the room. So why am, why am I from Texas you know, talking about this? Uh, the reason is I've been doing this for, for many years. So since 2005, I have been an instructional designer uh, working with faculty uh, in designing online courses. Uh, so when the pandemic starts in China, uh, schools stopped in February and, and, and then I was uh, asked to, to talk about you know how do you do online teaching because schools then was um, you know suspended or you know closed for online teaching and including K-12 schools and people are really at a loss what to do so I at that time I also started to uh, write a book about online teaching at the request of my uh, publisher in China is the normal uh, uh, East China Normal University Press. So and that's a record-breaking um, book that I have written in, in terms of the, the the time I spent on it. It's uh, the, uh, Since the 
start of the idea to the printing of the book. So two months and seven days. Okay, that's a for me it's very fast. Okay, so other people may have for anyone that's pretty fast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway, I'm I'm kind of surprised. Not a lot of sleep, I can tell you. So um, so I have been also been asked about online teaching by the Chinese uh, teachers, and I was invited to join some social media groups uh, about online teaching for both K twelve teachers and college um, professors. So that's why I uh, am somewhat qualified um, to talk about um, uh, online teaching in China. So I, I, in case anybody is wondering why, why you, why me, why my Berlin? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think you, you touched on, you know, and this is the topic of our conversation is, is the adoption of online learning uh, in China, uh, but also what, what that can tell us. Um, about online learning in general and the future, perhaps, of online learning. So I, I guess my, my first question to you is, do you, because I, I've, I've, um, I've heard China described as a very kind of, in some ways, unique educational uh, ecosystem. Um, where, yeah. you know, where online learning has, you know, has, for for quite a while now, um, been fairly widely uh, adopted. So so the first question would be, how should we look at China? Should we look at China as this kind of world in and of itself, or should we look at it as somehow portending a future of learning that the rest of the world will uh, eventually migrate towards? Um, I, I think... Uh... That's a very apt way of describing it. Uh, China has its own ecosystem, uh, so to speak. Um, I have been observing, you know, back and forth, you know, how America is doing things and how China is doing things in online online teaching. And I just found that they are like two operating systems that are so distinct from each other. Uh, For instance, in the U.S., when people talk about online teaching, I mean, the first thing that people usually think of is a learning management system. You know, you put things there, you organize your quizzes there, your interactions, so things are more integrated. Uh, whereas in China, um, people are just used to uh, receiving things on their phones. It's a, it's a, it's a very different um, kind of a species, so to speak, because everybody in China seems to own a smartphone and things seem to start earlier on their phones, and people become used to that. And whereas in the U.S., online teaching seems to be starting more on the computer. So one learns with their thumb, and another learns with their mouse or you know touchpad or whatever. So, so that's a, that's a r- really a huge difference. Um, and but in China, the the some of the the traditions in the other countries do not seem to affect China nearly as much. For instance, um, I I just noticed that uh, in, in China, people are less judgmental about you doing synchronous teachings, you know, using you know Zoom or things like what we are doing right now. Um, whereas in the U.S., there was a time when people frowned upon this kind of synchronous teaching um, because you know. The online teaching is supposed to overcome barriers in time, uh, in geography, and in learning pace. Uh, if you just put everything, everybody, 
uh, together in the same meeting room online, that basically defeats the purpose. Okay, you are not giving people the flexibility; you're just changing the medium. But it does not seem to um, affect the Chinese educators as much because they don't have this tradition,、um, which is what I found to be quite interesting phenomenon for me to observe.、And、you and I both worked for McKinsey before. I, I noticed, and、uh, at McKinsey, people talk about、uh, latecomer advantage. So sometimes, the, for instance, the people do not.、Um, Um, upgrade from one product to another, like DVD and things like this. And, and I don't know what is called previously the first version, but but China seems to have bypassed that.、Um, in, in terms of online teaching,、uh, I think it's more mobile based in China, and、um, and there's、uh, more synchronous components, which has its Large disadvantages from the U.S. perspective as well, because you know you do not give people the flexibility, and the traditionalists are actually right in a lot of sense. Yeah, so that's what I have been observing here. And, and and is it is it right to say that one of the one of the main drivers of of the adoption of online learning in in China has been the desire to To learn English, right? So, English language tutoring has been a sort of main, main driving force in, you know, in in the adoption of. Am I right in thinking that, or or were there other sort of factors at play? Well, the,、uh, I I think、uh, you just mentioned something I haven't thought about, but it's actually occurring. So before I even came to the U.S., which was in two thousand two. I already seen people using、uh, platforms a little bit like you know Zoom to to learn English. Okay, there are lots of、uh, vendors in China who try to use that、uh, application to、um, to to help kids learn English. Yes, I, I do not know the application right now, but it is,、uh, certainly has been going on ever since. And there are platforms like CC Talk. And、uh, people use that to teach English, French, and Korean, and many other things as well. So if you go to that side, you see a lot of、uh, things being taught.、Uh, another thing is, I, I think it is founded by somebody actually in the U.S.、Uh, Vipkid.、Uh, it is actually pairing、um, students in China and elsewhere in the world with native speakers of English or other languages. And, and that is booming. I mean, that is、uh, very popular,、uh, and that took advantage of、uh, what the internet is good for because it breaks the geographical barriers、um, between people. No, exactly. I mean, that 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 was in, in a sense. I've, I've met the、um, Cindy, the、uh, the founder of VIP、uh, Kids, and、uh, and and a, you know a number of other、um, founders of, of edtech. Companies in、uh, in China, and most most of them have their roots in、um, English language, and then sort of you know、uh, foreign language learning more broadly.、Uh, and this idea of of leveraging technology to、uh, to again kind of、uh, piggyback on a tradition that again I I know is is quite common in China, which is the idea of of、um, after school. Tutoring again—that's another driver, right? So one is the sort of desire to learn
these uh, English and, and, and other languages. And the other is, you know, a kind of a deep tradition of one-on-one uh, or one-on-few uh, tutoring, which, uh, which again, is, is kind of something that perhaps is not so widespread outside of, uh, of China and, and other countries that with kind of cultural affinity like, you know, Korea, uh, Taiwan, and, and uh, um, you know, Singapore. Absolutely, and and uh, China is a, is, is a large country, and there are lots of areas that are not de- developed. So people tend to pay more attention to places like Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Beijing, where there is a large international presence, when, where people have uh, easier access to native-speaking people. Uh, in other cities, in the secondary and third uh, tier um, universities. I mean, cities, there are fewer people around to speak to the kids. I remember I, when, I go to, when I went to university, we used to go to some place called English Corner, where we have a rare opportunity to speak with a, English, a native English speaker. Uh, the internet is actually making it possible for people to have their own private, you know, one-on-one kind of uh, teaching channels. So that, that is great. I, I certainly uh, think this really helps uh, the booming of uh, online teaching. So that actually paves the way to online teaching as it is today. So it is, it is something that people are not entirely unfamiliar with. Now, the, the, the sort of widespread adoption of, of you know, online and, and, and more broadly distance learning in, in, in China suggests that it's a, it, it's working. What what have you observed in this regard? You know, as as you sort of study this phenomenon, what are you seeing in terms of of learning outcomes and 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 more broadly other sort of education results? I I'm not exactly sure um, where the data says right now about the success or failure. Um, of online teaching during the past few months. Uh, I I definitely need to look more into that uh, uh, research. But uh, I have seen people going through uh, a trajectory of growth, okay, uh, through the process. At the beginning of online teaching in February, uh, in social media at least, and uh, in the uh, anecdotes that I hear about, there were lots of complaints, okay, uh, about uh, online teaching format. So everybody is now forced to, to do this, uh, whether they are ready or not. And there are lots of descriptions and called uh, um, which means actually a, a traffic scene from a traffic accident of online teaching. Yes, uh, because there are lots of stories about this epic failures of uh, online teaching. Um, actually, when you look back, it is not actually that big of a deal. Uh, what people consider as uh, epic failures are situations like, you know, we are just uh, broadcasting to a group of class of students and suddenly the spouse come in and start to comment on the way you present yourself, okay? Or a dog start to bark. Uh, I mean, at the beginning stage, you know, people who are not familiar with online teaching have the wrong expectations about, about it. You know, especially people in rural areas or less developed areas where, you know, professors or teachers have never been 
on the screen before broadcasting live. Okay, so there is a high expectation of how they should present themselves. It is as if they have to be from Hollywood in order to teach it online, but it's not the case. So gradually, that expectation is going down. And I also wrote about it myself. You know, in the newspaper,、uh, I said, you know, a teacher is a teacher. You do not have to be in Hollywood in order to produce your online course, online videos. You do not have to present yourself as Brad Pitt or somebody like that in order to make your、uh, teaching、uh, effective. And then gradually, people realize that、uh, th- there is an element of、uh, fun and authenticity、uh, in that kind of、uh, so-called epic failures. So, and there the tolerance is、um, uh, is is higher now. About this, so as you said, you know, you said there there are studies that shows that Chinese students are satisfied, and、um, I wouldn't exactly be surprised by that. <laughs>、um, yeah, and because、uh, as you have said, you know, the 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 feel successful. I, I think it is number one is there is a novelty factor there. So lots of students have not experienced. Teaching in this this fashion,、uh, so there's novelty factor, and then I think that students enjoy the extra freedom they have. Okay, and students who are more advanced in their learning、uh, have more time to spend on other subjects that they don't have to to be stuck in the classroom listening to the things that seem to hold them back. Okay. So there's that's the personalization factor that we should consider、uh, about online teaching, and likewise, students who are kind of slow in their learning can watch the video multiple times. So it actually,、uh, online teaching in China or elsewhere in the U.S. as well, I think is an instrument for、uh, what I call mass customization of teaching and learning. Okay, it is. Not possible in the past. You cannot expect the the, the, the same teacher to split themselves,、um, you know, fifty times for each, each student's needs. But online teaching makes it possible to create unique paths to the learning outcomes.、Uh, students get to define、uh, what they do,、um, and I think that kind of flexibility students and teachers both would enjoy. So how how do you how do you Do that. I mean, beyond beyond the ability to, you know, repeat the lecture as many times as as you need. What other ways does this sort of multiple pathway approach manifest itself? Can you say a little bit more about that? I, I think it is it is easier to do with the use of learning management systems. I mean, this is where I think、uh, the online teaching in the U.S. is having. Some kind of a advantage because with、uh, learning management systems like Blackboard or Canvas or Moodle, you can just、uh, have create cr- selective release criteria. For instance, if you、um, do not make like eighty percent for a particular quiz, you do not get to advance to another module. Okay, so that is one of the ways you can actually、um, do this. You can set prerequisites. Okay. Um, and you can set a mastery path. This kind of path can be defined. You, if you just achieve this level, you go here. 
if you achieve with this level, you go somewhere else. You, uh, if you just make like eight, 60% or below, you seek uh, supplemental instruction for uh, what you're doing. I think technology now is capable of uh, channeling students in this different ways. And I've uh, seen professors in, in my own universities doing those uh, very well. And I, I really hope that uh, this kind of practices can be uh, diffused to other educators. Have you have you done any any work around you know experimenting or trying trying out different explanatory approaches or methods? So, in other words, you know maybe there's you know so you have a lecturer and you know he or she has a particular way of trying to explain, say, a complicated concept, you know, whether it's in mathematics or, say, physics, right? Um, but there may be alternative ways to, to providing that ex- explanation. Is that, do you have that kind of, you know, uh, menu, if you will, of, of different approaches? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, of course, first, first of all, we usually do uh, the backward design, we actually use uh, uh, the backward design principle. We think about the outcomes first, and then we think about the assessment. And based on those, we choose instructional strategies. Okay, so that is working backwards rather than people jumping into their online teaching experience with a particular uh, technolo- technology or particular delivery medium they think works. So I think it works backwards. Um, there are certain things that I think that lend themselves well to just, you know, people talking like uh, what you and I are doing right now. I mean, there's kind of conversation or discussion dialogue uh, should work. So there are Zoom meetings that the teachers teach like this. Uh, And then there are certain subjects that we've noticed uh, are better taught if you are showing things on the screen. So we call this screencast. screencast, we encourage professors to use that. And, and uh, professors in my own university are experts at doing this. So they, they use a screencast to explain many, many different things. And, and then there are uh, innovative ways people do things, okay? See, for instance, they are demonstrating an art um, creation process. So you can just uh, uh, link a docu camera or some kind of a camera and then link it to your computer and then just capture all what you're doing. So that uh, really um, opens lots of doors for professors. Um, and speaking of in the, the one method versus another, uh, I also noticed that, that there's a, a huge um, pedagogical uh, controversy uh, as well regarding, um, you know, like, let's say talking head videos. Okay, in the past, I have attended workshops that tell me specifically, no, don't use talking head videos. People are, are, are bored. We surveyed our students. As a matter of fact, students would love to see their professors on the screen. So it is not bad, at least as part of the teaching. As You can just demonstrate things uh, on the screen, but you put yourself in one of the corners, and people would love to see you talk. Um, <laughs> so that's actually... Uh, project some kind of a social presence into the online teaching process, which students value, which professors also value, and which is also a, a tie between the students to the teachers and among the students themselves. Um, and I also noticed that uh, 
many professors have told us that um, since the start of online teaching, what we call rapid online teaching, uh, they get to know more about their students because when you are doing Zoom meetings, you get to see their dogs, their pets, uh, you get to see their um, home and uh, siblings and, and things like this. In the past, you know, it's just, you know, students are just identified as students, not as, you know, uh, a role that a hat that uh, they wear, okay? So they are in use and that's really valuable. It's likewise, students to get to see uh, professors' roses and their bookshelves and things like that and get to meet their family as well. So actually, it is it is creating... A kind of a community that we haven't thought possible in the past uh, with the what-in uh, brick-and-mortar kind of a classroom. That, that's that's really interesting because uh, you know it, oftentimes we hear the concerns um, expressed that you know online is 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 somehow depersonalizing the the teaching and learning. Uh, experience that you know the 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 absence of kind of physical proximity somehow takes away from from the experience. But you are you are actually suggesting that maybe in some instances that the opposite might be happening because you're getting you're, you're quite sort of you know literally getting a window into you know in, into each other's lives in a way that that wasn't you know perhaps possible in a, in a, in a, you know, in a physical classroom. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, that's quite a, an interesting, uh, uh, idea to study the, you know, the extent to which, you know, some degree of online interaction actually brings you, you know, closer to, to your, uh, to your students and, 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 you know, and, and teachers in, in that regard. Um, what, what's been your, you know, your view of, you know, what, what are some of the challenges of, you know, kind of making this transition to online teaching and learning? Okay. Other than, you know, uh, the, the mistaken belief that you need to have kind of, uh, uh, Brad Pitt levels of, of, uh, <laughs> of appearance to, you know, to, to be on a screen, um, you know, and and uh, and actually allowing for for greater authenticity. What are, what are some of the other challenges that you've you know you you're aware of uh, that educators and students have been struggling with? Okay, uh, I think the most obvious one, the, uh, uh, the the one that most people complain about, is the uh, digital divide. Okay, digital divide. Uh, some students have device. Some families already readily have Wi-Fi. And, you know, large monitors that uh, make it easy to learn online. Some families don't have those. So that is a big struggle, not just in China, but in elsewhere in the world as well, um, even in the U.S. Um, so that is the main thing. And we can talk more about this, but uh, let's just put it out there. Uh, another thing um, that I have uh, observed is, you know, beyond a digital divide, I also see a discipline a divide, okay? What I mean is, you know, people who are more self-regulated and students, uh, I mean, students who are self-regulated, students who have better time management skills tend to get more out of uh, online courses, okay? 
as students who have very poor time management skills, they scramble and uh, they cram and then they fail. Okay, and uh, this is what I call a discipline uh, divide. Uh, in, in China, this is especially um, evident phenomenon among the K-12s because the younger students um, are less capable of, uh, you know, managing their time. So it creates a situation that parents have to serve on the side uh, as as sort of a TA role, okay, for the teachers, because the teachers actually also expect the parents to help them a little bit to make sure when their cameras are off, students haven't gone back to sleep uh, or they haven't gone to play video games. Uh, so that is a huge issue. Uh, and then that creates ripple effects, okay? And then parents start to complain <laughs> because they start to work on, at home. They have their uh, things to do and they can't do this all the time. They would rather the teachers spend more time, you know, doing this kind of things themselves, okay? So that's a big struggle and it actually creates tension between um, uh, parents and schools. But of course, people are understanding, you know, this is the pandemic and this, this is something we have to deal with, but that doesn't mean they are happy with it. So that that is a big, big um, struggle. And um, digital destructions is also a big um, factor to consider for the, the students. Because when they are learning online, uh, it is less likely for teachers to know whether students have been um, chatting with people on the side, because computers have, have different screens, whether they are just playing video games and you know, keep their um, you know, meeting, or online meeting open. So they never know. So this digital destruction is a big issue. That's why I say um, this kind of uh, things are um, creating what I call a discipline divide. But when you think about it, we adults do the same thing as well. We uh, have our Facebook open and sometimes do that. So what I mean is, you know, uh, we should know the, know the limits. Maybe online teaching is a good way to teach people such soft skills like time management, like self-regulation, like, you know, the management of destructions and like the how, how do you focus on doing your work. These are all skills that employees should have for the future. So I don't think the online teaching is just a way for you to transfer the content from one brain to another via um, uh, two screens. No, it is also a way for for us, for the society in general, the parents, the teachers, and um, you know other stakeholders involved to um, consider how do we train um, people for the future? Because you know that uh, in the future, there are lots of virtual teams like uh, what many companies are already having. And People will be working from home. People will have distraction, distractions, and people will, um, you know, have time management issues to deal with. So these are necessary preparation for the future. Nobody is going to teach students specifically uh, about this kind of skills, but this is a new set of outcomes. I think education education should have for the future workforce. Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, that, that's that's you know, that's that's a very, you know, again, I think interesting perspective. I would just add one other divide. I think which which uh, has 
has, I think, become apparent to many that in, in addition to a sort of digital uh, divide and a discipline divide, there's also a space divide in, in the sense that, you know, now that we're, you know, we, we've been forced to work from home and, and, you know, obviously people have access to different amounts of private space within, you know, depending on the size of their house, the, you know, the number of, you know, other family members that are involved, you know, you, so you see that, that being a challenge, you know, for, for many as well, that they don't, you know, many families just simply don't have, you know, a, a kind of a dedicated place where, you know, uh, uh, they can go and work or the, the kids can go and study, right? It's not, not everyone has, you know, kind of uh, bedrooms with, you know, with uh, Wi-Fi access for each kid and a desk and, and all that, you know, so, so there's that element too that I think is, uh, is, is causing a challenge. You know, we've spoken a lot about students. But what what about what about teachers? What you know? What are what are some of the challenges that teachers have faced? You know, in in adapting to this kind of online um, to the online environment. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's uh, comment on your space divide, and I really like that idea because it's a privilege for people to have a space that uh, they can study. Um, you know, without too much distraction. And I have the privilege of coming to my office. Uh, where I can just focus on my work. So all of this should not be taken for granted. But there are certainly students who do not have that luxury. They don't even have a device. They have to hide in the closet to to be able to take their online classes away from the distraction. And uh, I, I don't think that uh, that is something educators should ignore. It is something, it's huge, it's huge, it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, I've uh, read from your wise uh, homepage that uh, some people mentioned Maslow before and before Bloom, you have to think about people's basic needs. So you have to consider them as individuals having uh, their unique challenges. Yeah. Uh, but uh, speaking of uh, challenges for the educators, there are um, plenty as well. And both here in the U.S. Uh, and in China. Uh, first of all, I, I think that's, uh, th- there is an anxiety issue, okay? Of online teaching, because some people have been teaching like 20, 30 years in the classroom. That's the way um, they teach. Their practices are baked in their minds, okay, how they do things. Um, so there's a huge anxiety. And another issue is uh, the lack of confidence, okay, in their ability to be doing things online. You know, as I, as I said, some of this, I think it's uh, just uh, you know, somebody needs to point this out, uh, just like what I said about Brad Pitt earlier, you don't have to like look like uh, a, a movie star in order to to be teaching um, using Zoom. <laughs> okay, so that's a that, that's an attitude issue that can be easy to deal with. Um, but then there are skills issues. Okay, um, online teaching has to do with lots of tools. Okay, whether it is uh, like Zoom, whether it is uh, Tencent in China, there are lots of uses of Tencent meeting. Uh, and CC Talk, you have to be very skilled at using these tools. You have to practice a lot about this. Uh, so that's another technical training that people need to have. Uh, another thing that I think they are not well equipped is um, they do not know the uh, online pedagogy. Uh, 
admittedly, teaching online and face-to-face follow to a large extent uh, the similar pedagogy. But you know, when you really go down to it, the tools actually change the way the activity is conducted. Okay, when tools are mediating any human activity, it changes things. It changes the subject, the object, the rules, the community, the division of labor, and all of this. So it is evolving. Online teaching is evolving into a different kind of ecology, and and that involves the use of tools. That involves uh, a different pedagogy. How do you sequence things? How do you break things down? How do you chunk things? How do you uh, release content? How do you create communities online? And all of this, uh, you cannot uh, expect people to wake up the next morning already knowing what to do. You have to train them. Okay, that that's why. We here uh, at Abilene Christian University, we offer a lot of training to our faculty. As a matter of fact, I am having a training uh, after this one, uh, this noon, about the tools for online teaching. And then we have a boot camps, uh, like you know, every week we have ten sessions teaching people how to do this, this, and that. It's like ten, 10 sessions. Even after the ten sessions, it is not sufficient. People still need uh, additional support. So I also think you need to give people the infrastructure of support, including the people behind the tools, supporting people using these tools, and and, and our technicians and a technical team. You cannot expect teachers to be a help desk for the student. Okay, so you have to have a team and infrastructure dedicated to the success of online teaching. It is essential. Um, Speaking of that, I think this is where China uh, needs a lot of work. I mean, Chinese teachers are anxious uh, at the beginning and um, to a large extent, uh, an earlier part of their online teaching experience because many of them are on their own, okay? Nobody's supporting them. And when they have issues, they have tried to figure it out themselves, okay? Or that they hope that these issues go away. They don't have uh, a large technical team behind them supporting them. And, and I, so far as I know, uh, when I left China in 2002, I'm expecting more instructional designers, you know, years later, but still it's not happening a lot. A lot of universities do not have uh, designers. They probably have some technical support teams or centers. And then there are teaching and learning centers teaching uh, about pedagogy, but they're not dedicated people like me. Uh, who support teachers developing courses and facilitating courses, things like that. So these kind of things are causing anxiety as well. So I've been speaking a lot about it. <laughs> um, I don't know what is going on. From your experience uh, on what you observe, what are other, other countries uh, doing? Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, well, I mean, I, we, one, of the, one of the earliest podcasts we did uh, during this, this sort of lockdown, extended lockdown period was with uh, one of our um, EdTech Accelerator graduates, uh, a, a company called uh, Teach Pitch. And they were, they were in, the, uh, in the midst of training, I think, Basim, you know, jump in here if you remember the exact number, but it was, it was something around five, 6,000 teachers in Albania on essentially how to use online tools. And, and we're talking about, you know, starting from just very basic, you know, this is Zoom and this is how you, you know, how you use Zoom and how you share your screen. And also, 
to, to kind of maybe more more advanced um, approaches. So, so you know, I think our our you know my observation is that uh, has been that that really getting teachers up to speed on how to make the best use of 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 the technology has been one of the big challenges. Um, of this kind of forced migration online. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think one of the things that we're going to have to think at the system level uh, going forward is, is actually to provide a lot more of the kind of things that you're talking about, that, that there, this really needs to be part of, of professional development now. It's, it's no longer, you know, a kind of a nice-to-have you know something that the uh, uh, the more kind of progressive or you know tech savvy uh, uh, teachers are, are kind of figuring out for themselves, or or you know if they're lucky enough to be in institutions that have people like you, Berlin, that, that can you know support them. I think I think it's just going to become become a necessity now um, for uh, uh, for the teaching profession to to know how to operate in an online setting just as they need to be trained to operate in a, in a physical classroom setting. Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually, I really enjoy hearing about the experience that uh, you, you shared about uh, from other countries. Um, by, by the way, I, I uh, went to wise summit in 2014 where I get to learn a lot of interesting, innovative uh, things going on around the world which makes me realize that the world is much, much bigger than the U.S. and China that I happen to pay attention to. Uh, for instance, in Peru, I remember a Spanish foundation actually helped them to figure out a way to teach uh, rural kids uh, in a way that it's effective. And for instance, the students are too far from their schools, um, from their village to their schools. So the schools let them uh, live in their schools for two weeks and go home study for another two weeks. We, you know, this kind of uh, innovative ways could be somehow uh, matched with online teachings somehow. When we are going forward, as you're saying, you know, when when the pandemic is not going to be over pretty soon, what do we do? You know, how do we gather, gather students? There has to be a lot of innovations uh, in in the way we, we deliver deliver this, this teaching, and and I also think that another I just, another challenge that I just thought of is that uh, there are lots of professors who just try to clone their classroom experience to their online learning space, and that doesn't work. Okay, you you can't replicate this. You cannot substitute. It it has to be. Uh, you have somehow you have to unlearn the way you deliver and learn some new ways of doing things. Uh, and that is uh, going to be something that we have to keep telling professors and teachers about. Yeah, and no, just, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And just to sort of, you know, since, since we kind of started this conversation with a, with a kind of a Hollywood analogy, right? Yes, it, yes. It's a little bit, it's a little bit reminiscent of the, the earliest movies, right? The earliest movies were basically you just, you know, you had people on a stage, you know, acting and you just filmed them, right? And, you know, and it, and it took a little while for people to figure out that, hey, this is a different medium <laughs> completely. And there's a lot more that you can do. Uh, and, and 
and actually it's you know as as a substitute it's it's a very poor substitute for the theater right um but it you know but it, you can do so many other things and and do them differently and better and introduce you, you know the the concept of editing and all all this other stuff that we now you know take for granted and so I think we're in some respects we're at that inflection point now where people are figuring out that you know it's online teaching is not just you know let's just film the classroom in some ways or you know pretend like we're in a classroom and behave in the same way that it 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 is a different medium and it it needs we need to kind of figure out the you know the uh, the possibilities and and how to optimize the use of that of that medium. So um, be, before we close off uh, Berlin, because we're, we're, I noticed we're sort of coming up to the, uh, the almost the hour mark, but do you, do you feel, so we've had this forced migration now of, of education online. Do you think that this is going to be catalytic? Are we, are we entering a new era or, you know, has this been a sort of emergency response and we're just going to kind of, unwind and go back to business as usual once this this blows over what's what's your sense i uh, i'm not exactly sure whether we will uh, have a normal uh, or business as usual to return to um, number one people have been exposed to online teaching teachers parents students they, they know that this kind of tools this kind of method is available that will change their way they do things now uh, one way or the other, for instance, parents, even parents may be realized, realizing right now, if my teacher, my, if my kids do not have a good teacher here about a certain subject, probably we can just have someone else from another city to teach via a certain platform like CC Talk, or Zoom. Um, so that, that's that kind of a change that we have to consider about. So once people's mind has been opened to this kind of method, there's no turning back, okay? People will realize that... Uh, uh, things will will change, and I I think in the, going forward, um, I I think the we will have some new thinking about online teaching as a profession. Okay, because there are a lot of uh, assumptions that we used to have. For instance, do not use synchronous uh, sessions because that defeats uh, flexibility. People will rethink because technology has advanced to a level that even. Um, e- even if you have a synchronous uh, session, it can still be asynchronous because you can record it and share it with people later on if they do not uh, have the same time and zone as you do. Um, so, there, so technology has advanced in a way to make this kind of things possible. We will also uh, be rethinking about what, what we consider as community. How do you build a community online in a, in a new way? Uh, as you uh, mentioned earlier, uh, the proximity factor is huge. Uh, okay, there are lots of things that cannot happen online that usually happen uh, in 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 the university in a in a residential setting. There are still lots of things in the education that are like that. Okay, education is not just about uh, about uh, you know passing on knowledge from one person to another. There are also community shaping, community forming. There are also varsity teams, theoretical performances. Prom and winter formal and all sorts of things like this that people lose, okay, uh, in this format. So we cannot uh, 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 ignore this altogether because people, yeah. But you you lose some and you gain some, 
Okay, and that's why what I see the future bringing us uh, to us. In the past, lots of people have been talking about, you know, either you do face to face or you do, um, you know, online. And there's somewhere in between hybrid. And then there's talk about flipped classroom. You do certain things offline, certain things online. Um, that's a little bit binary, in my opinion. I think in the future um, there will be various degrees of high. Of hybrid, okay, hybrid, okay, of hybrid. Okay, some face to face, some online, some local teachers, some distance remote teachers, okay, from somewhere else. So some of the content that you learn on your own, and some of this you just um, uh, depend on teachers guiding you. And some of the tasks teachers will, uh, you know, give feedback themselves, and some of the tasks artificial intelligence or automatic grading can take care of for the teachers. So the, the future is going to be very exciting for education, I think. I, yeah, I, uh, instead of flipped classroom, I think of uh, the fidget spinner. I don't know whether you know this. It's a little toy that was in fashion in the past, like half a, like three uh, little things there. So I keep thinking of fidget spinner. The reason is because I think that in the future, future education is like a spinning uh, wheel, a fidget spinner. With three M's on written on all over them, so one one of the M is uh, the medium. So how the medium is going to be uh, it, to be to be chosen, and then another one is method, your instructional method, as you said earlier. So how do you teach certain things, and, and then there's a message, uh, and your your message. Okay, so it's going to be a combination of all three of this. When one change, uh, the other three, the other two um, M's also change. It's like a again like a fidget spinner. And I also love your analogy about the stage to the cinema, okay? You don't just film the stage and call that a, a movie. A, a movies are produced in a different way. No, that, Berlin, this is, this is great. And it, it's been, it's been a, a very sort of engaging and, and I think interesting uh, discussion. What's the best way for uh, people to find out uh, more about your work, to follow you, to... Uh, uh, to get to know more about about what you've been uh, writing and thinking. Okay, I um, I have a website which I'm guilty of not updating very often. It's uh, berlinfun.com. Okay, so that's where I sometimes post certain things. I will be more diligent with it in the future. So that's, I think, the easiest way to do this. I'm also on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and, and in China, I have a WeChat public account that some people will subscribe to, and I also publish articles there as well. And uh, I also have some articles with uh, with WISE at Education Review, so you people for that, they can find it there as well. Great. Well, we'll, we'll be sure to post all uh, uh, all those links on uh, on on the uh, uh, on the feed uh, for this this podcast. So, Berlin, thank you uh, for being with us, and thank you to everyone from around the world who's tuned in to listen to, uh, to Wise Words. And there you have it. Many thanks to Berlin Fang for joining us in this discussion and thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you like this episode, don't forget to let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels and all the links are in the description for that. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want more from Wise Words. Thanks for tuning in and looking forward to having you here next time. <laughs>